0: Out there, rock and rollers, welcome to the 89th edition of the Ugly American Werewolf in London Rock Podcast, where Wolf is an American expat living in London, missing his record collection back home, and trying to give you the perspective of bands who make it in the U.S., not the U.K. and vice versa. But some make it everywhere, and I like talking about it with my pal Action Jackson. We talk in hard rock, prog rock, classic rock, heavy metal, early MTV, all the stuff that turned us on over the years. We have a great run lately of great live concerts we've been able to go see. Like, I got to see The Stones a couple of times in Hyde Park and Duran Duran. You know, Jackson got to see Def Leppard and Motley Crue on the stadium tour back home. We got to do some great interviews this summer. We've had Jeff Downs of Yes and Asia on, Carl Palmer of Asia, and Emerson Lake and Palmer. We had Steve Hackett on recently. We've had Chris Slade from ACDC and... Actually, was in a band called Tomorrow with Olivia Newton-John. Thinking about Olivia Newton-John, she just passed away. Rare beauty and a real talent, and uh, well. As a young man, I like Olivia Newton, John, and I'm sorry uh, to hear she passed. Uh, but we had those great interviews uh, and, and some great collaborations. Just last week, we had our buddy Sonny Pooney from Growing Up Rock on to talk about Whitesnake 1987. It was a very popular episode. You know, people love Sonny, or maybe they love to hate him. Uh, but he's always opinionated. He knows his stuff. And we really appreciate Sonny coming on episode number 88 to talk Snake, But as we've grown the podcast here, we have picked up a sponsor. Uh, and we're just so proud to not only have a sponsor, just to show that we are growing the show. And we've got fine folks like you listening to us, appreciating the show, telling us to to keep doing it, you know, build it better and stronger than ever, right? Get the best guests on you can, make the best show you can. And so to have a sponsor is great because it kind of helps take care of some of the costs and, uh, and defray some of that for us. But our sponsor is perfect for us, because they cater to people who love music, right? RareVinyl.com has been our sponsor for a month or so now, and they have over 250,000 items in stock in the UK. Pristine records, CDs, singles, tour programs, whatever. It's mostly vinyl, and it's amazing some of the stuff that they have and the high quality and how they will ship it to you all over the world. It's so good to us, and they gave us a code so if you go to rarevinyl.com or eil.com, which is their legacy website, use the code PODCAST, you get 10% off your order, which is a great deal, and we're glad that they offer that. We're proud to be working with rarevinyl.com, There's great synergy there. Our show's about people who love rock and roll and love older rock and roll. Most of it was consumed on vinyl back in the day, if not on the radio. And now if you're a collector, this is the kind of show you probably listen to, and rarevinyl.com or eil.com. Uh, is the kind of place where you're going to go find stuff that you want in your collection and get to you in great shape. So we thought a fun thing to do would be to have one of their record buyers on. If that's not the coolest job, I don't know what is. I mean, at least when I was a kid, I would have loved that. But a record buyer, basically they go out and suss out people's collections. People pass on or they downsize their homes. Like, okay, I'm not taking any of these old 45s with me anywhere. Let's let's go ahead and, and sell them and see what we can get for them. So... There's about four, five, six of the guys down there that do this for a living. They go out and they assess record collections, and they see what in there they can sell, what they can't, you know, give them a price. And then they come back and stick them up on the website. And some of these things can be worth hundreds or thousands of dollars if they're in good shape and if they're rare enough, if there's enough demand. So I thought it'd be fun. We're going to have a guy named Mike Winban on. He's going to talk about some of the things he does. And some of the stuff he finds, uh, which is interesting, sometimes stuck in the vinyl sleeves and things like that. And talking a little bit about his record-collecting past and uh, how he found rarevinyl.com and, and, and what he does to find these treasures, to unearth them, uh, and then get them to the people who really want them, which are the hardcore fans like you. Now, as usual, we want you to download and subscribe uh, wherever you get your podcasts, whether Apple, iTunes, Spotify, Good pods, big place, small place, whatever. Uh, please download, subscribe to the show. And if you want to reach out to us, you can hit us at. Ugly underscore Werewolf, or at ActionJack72 on Twitter. And know that we are part of the Pantheon podcast family, a family of podcasts all in the music genre. Really something for everyone there. And uh, we're trying to be the, hold up our end on the rock and roll side. And we've got some friends like Tom and Zeus from the Shout It Out Loud cast, like Jay Scott from the Hook Rocks, like Paul Richardson from Vintage Rock Pod and This Day Rocks. And you can check out them all out at Pantheon Pods or www pantheonpodcast.com. We're going to get into this little conversation with Mike from rarevinyl.com, because I'm always looking for something. I It's hard to look through 250,000 items in a store. At least on the web, you can type in what you're looking for. But I'm always looking for something, whether it's a CD, uh, whether it's a band that I'm just into and I want something special there, whether I want a first edition, something like that. This is the place you can find it, folks, and Mike's gonna tell you the difference. He's gonna tell you the difference between a, a first edition Beatles record versus a second print versus a third print. He knows all that stuff. Interesting, guys, so we're gonna jump into it now. Uh, with Mike Winben, record buyer at rarefinal.com, where if you use the code podcast, you can get 10% discount on all your purchases. We thank them for the sponsorship, and we're going to get into it with Mike right now on The Wolf. Well, no, we are proud to welcome to our show, As uh, as our listeners know, we have a Sponsor, which couldn't be a better fit for our show in rarevinyl.com, which has uh, over 250,000 amazing, pristine albums, DVDs, singles, CDs, whatever you're looking for out there, shipping all over the world. And you can use the code podcast to get your 10% discount. But we're being graced with the presence of one of their record buyers here today. And I I don't know, growing up, I would have ever heard of a better job than record buyer. It just sounds awesome. Uh, <laughs> still sounds awesome to this day but we're joined by uh, mike wendman mike thanks for coming on
1: that's all right cheers cheers for inviting me
0: so uh why don't you give us i mean look, i've been to your shop we've got to chat a little bit uh i met some of your colleagues there and and have a feel for uh your culture and just you know everything that's going on there but why don't you why don't you give us a flavor of you know how you came to work at, at eil or, or rare vinyl and you know what was the music that kind of Turned you on in the first place? Why did you want to get into music so much? What what led you down this path?
1: Uh, yeah. I mean, well, I suppose when I was growing up, so I was a teenager in the late eighties, mm-hmm. and at that time, everyone was getting rid of their record collections and they were buying CDs. And I was I was into music then, and I I don't know. It's probably common for a lot of people, but I started off when I got into older music i started raiding my parents record collection that mm. had been kind of mothballed and then i started you know but like that was Beatles and things like that you know hot chocolate and all that kind of malarkey yes and then i started going to uh we had like a local flea market and uh, there was a stall there that used to sell records and, you know, the prices are ridiculous when you think about it now. But I'd be picking up copies of Pet Sounds for yeah. two pounds, which I don't know what that is in dollars these days, but that's right. like a dollar or something. And, you know, and Beatles records and punk records. and But I did all that. It was um, it was purely... Um, A matter of economics, because I didn't have much money, and the CDs were expensive. CDs were very
0: expensive in the 80s. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Being being a naughty schoolboy, I used to spend most of my money on cigarettes and stuff like that. So (laughs) it was was born out of frugality, really. Sure. And then, I suppose, probably during the 90s, when I had a bit more money, I carried on buying a bit of vinyl. But I did buy mainly CDs, just because, you know, that's the, the propaganda at the time, sort of saying that they were better quality, last longer. Sure, and uh, you know to give them their due. I mean, they are they're convenient in so much as you can play them in the car, and uh, you got a CD walkman and everything. And anyway, so I moved to I moved to Japan, and I spent I spent um, quite a long time living in japan and when i eventually got an apartment that was big enough for me to buy a uh, a record player which again i mean i did well on that i bought a sx uh, an sl 1200 and i think that cost me about that was about ten thousand yen which again i don't know what that'd be in dollars but that's about 50 pounds mm,
0: okay. it was
1: yeah. at uk uk prices so that was pretty good again that was slightly before the vinyl boom kicked off so i was picking up loads of japanese pressings you know with the ob strip and all that picking them up for 100 yen each which is about 50p oh my goodness yeah seriously like the junk shops that's changed now i mean that 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 managed to change within a few years they realized that there was a bit of a resurgence on vinyl so they actually started to price up the stuff but there was a while when the local because they got quite a flourishing second hand market and yeah the local stores they're just any records i think they would when it came to me selling my records they uh they'd buy them for one yen which is less than one pence right which again in us i don't know what that is is that like one cents or something like that that's about right
2: yeah Mm -hmm. (laughs) they'd
1: buy buy them off you once because i sold a big pile of them i sold about 100 records and i got back 100 yen which is about 50p which you know can't even buy you can even buy a can of coke for that right but yes they buy they, they were buying them off people for one you know one yen and selling them for 100 yen and i got some really good stuff i've got loads of uh, 90s pressings uh, which ended up being like worth you know, 100 quid 200 pounds loads of original japanese pressing stuff like that um when i moved back to the uk i ended up having spent several thousand pounds getting it all shipped over Sure. And that wasn't even that wasn't even air freight. I mean, that was by sea took it took about three months to come here and that still cost me a few thousand pounds. And then, yeah, I'd I'd, I'd worked a bit for worked a bit for the company actually in the 90s. But I was doing a completely different job. But yeah, you know, I had an interest in vinyl and buying and what have you selling used vinyl. So, uh, yeah, I came back and uh, yeah, they accepted me. (laughs)
0: Yes, very good. All right. So so is it I mean, you were into punk. Uh, and stuff like that. I mean, originally into to, to Beatles, sure, everybody, you know, I think I got into the Doors because my dad was into the Doors, you know, Jefferson Airplane, stuff oh, like that. Oh. Cream, The Who, you know, raiding his old stuff. Um, but then you know when it starts to get into your own stuff i mean you're about the same age as us was it like did you get into the nirvana and stuff like that in the 90s was it oasis uh but it was older stuff than that
1: yeah yeah i mean i think when i was when i was fairly younger i like i like I this is the music of my childhood was ska music things like mm-hmm. specials and madness and then when i was probably about 14 i started to get into punk from the seventies, which I wasn't that aware of, so that would be things like the Damned and Sex Pistols. And then I moved on from that, like I say, raided my parents' collection and started getting into the things like the Beatles and you know Kinks and Stones and things like that. Sure. And then around that time as well, I really started to like the indie music in the UK, Manchester. So things like Happy Mondays, Stone Roses. Sure. Then I got into got into a bit of grunge, like you say, Nirvana and what have you. And then when I was at university, it started to become a bit more psychedelic. So, okay. you know, everyone was into um, sort of well, crust. I don't know if you had it in the States, but we call them crusties, which is sort of like cross between. Punk and hippies, sort of early '90s music like osric Tentacles. Yeah. You know those those kind of bands, the Levelers, and then got into uh, trance music. Used to go to lots of raves, and stuff. lots of raves, yeah, parties, things like that. And then, uh, yeah, sort of I suppose through the '90s it was indie music. Things like I think the bands at the time would be Supergrass. Sure. Things like that. Corner Shop. I mean, all those pulp, all those kind of grip pop bands. And then in the noughties, I started to listen to classical music more. And just for a few years, I was listening to classical music, started to enjoy operetta, listening to Gilbert and Sullivan and stuff like that. And then I got into Japanese music, J-pop, oh, which right. again at the time was, you know, I was picking up J-pop records like singers like anri and stuff like that and i was buying the records for a 100 yen i go online now like i say i mean that's about 50p and i go online now and they're selling for over 100 pounds because that's youtube as um you know people have rediscovered all that stuff Sure, yeah right maria takeuchi and stuff like that yamashita tatsuro and all those kind of artists don't know stuff. much about
0: them yeah sorry <laughs> You're
1: losing uh, yeah i mean it's i mean that, that kind of I suppose. I mean, it sounds very mid late 80s mm-hmm. and it, a lot of those artists they, um they made a big play of um, recording with American producers and recording in studios in California and stuff like that. So that's that whole kind of, I don't know, sort of yacht rock and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. OK,
0: gotcha. um,
1: and then, yeah, sort of after that, getting getting more into the more obscure 60s stuff as well, sort of freak beat, psychedelia and sort of lots because there's there's always stuff that you've never heard of before so exactly I, I, I suppose i wouldn't say i'm sort of particularly wedded to one genre although if you if you were to look in my collection you are going to find you know oh there's a load of progressive music there or there's a load of acid folk there mm-hmm. or, or you know there's a load of british jazz there or what have you what have
0: Well, i mean that must help you in the job because when you go out we say okay we've got somebody who's wanting to sell their collection they've got a thousand LPs or whatever it might be it's Mm. not it's not always going to be in your wheelhouse it's not always going to be your favorite kind of music and they may have an eclectic mix they may be selling their fathers and their mothers and the aunts and uncles stuff right which may not always be the same so for you to be able to go out and identify yes, this classical is worth something, but it's also they've got some first edition Bowies that we'll definitely want to sell, you know, that kind of thing. That's got to help you doing your job and making sure that you get them the value, but also you get the right stuff for your clients.
1: Yeah, so that's it. I mean, I, I, a few years ago, I had somebody bring a collection in and he had um, he had loads of uh, sort of Pink Floyd and King Crimson and, you know, those kind of bands. And they're originals and limited pressings and what have you. So wow. you look at that and you think, Oh, well this is a good collection trying to work out work out the prices and everything and then he's like, oh i've got a couple of classical records you know there's only like half a dozen there a dozen or whatever and I flick through them and there's one and i immediately think that looks interesting i go and check it and you know it's worth it's worth uh it's worth a grand it's worth you know it's worth a thousand quid that's probably that was actually i think it was worth i think it was like a grand and a half wow so i mean that that turned out to be most expensive record in the collection so you know I was able then to give if I'd known that that was there I wouldn't have been able to offer as much for the whole collection possibly he wouldn't have sold the whole collection to me but you know because I was able to then get the full glean the full value of it so so you're right I mean there'd be I mean there are some things that I find it hard to get excited about but I yeah I've got I'd like to say I've got a fairly good knowledge of what has value or at least what potentially would have value and that might be looking for looking for certain record labels Mm -hmm. you know you could like uh, i don't know uh, british jazz you know tempo label okay most of them they're they're going to be worth there's some that aren't worth anything but some of them are going to be worth money and i was in a boot fair um, a few years ago and uh, the guy had a crate on the grass absolutely mullered LPs in terrible condition, and most of them were all sort of yeah, bony M and all that kind of rubbish. Okay. And then there's one record, and you know, the, the the sleeve was falling apart. Didn't recognize the artist, but I pulled it out, recognized the label. Um I thought might be good. He wanted a pound per record. I managed to knock him down to ATP, and when I got home and checked him, it's, it's worth a thousand pounds that record. Goodness. Uh, wow. Not my one, unfortunately, not in that condition, but it's right. still got me worth three or 400 quid of anyone's money I thought just because you go online and there's nothing number for it. sale at the minute yes yeah. yeah, just like it's impossible to get
2: do you ever find yourself when you're looking through these records kind of going through like what kind of person is this that would buy this like oh this is good this is good oh this is awful taste why would you buy this record
1: yeah I mean you do get some you do get some <laughs> weird records and <laughs> So sort of lost in weird in collections so it's it's frustrating because you can't you can't check every single so we get people phoning in or what have you and they've got a record collection of course i can't go out and check every single one but then sometimes they'll bring them to our office in which case i can check them and you, you could go through 50 records and it's absolute rubbish right and then there's one record at the back <laughs> and you're like oh you know they've got, let's say they've got all disco hits and all that kind of. Again, I don't know, carpenters and things like that. No disrespect to them. But right, but they ain't worth much money. Yeah. And then, and then at the back there's just some weird, I don't know, acid drenched opus that was released in 1969 and completely disappeared without trace. And it's worth a thousand pounds. And you're just like, you know, and it's never been played. And you're like, why is this here? Who who bought <laughs> Doesn't doesn't match up what's going on here, but, you know, they exist. And sometimes the collections of easy listening can be quite good because uh, somebody might have bought a record and because it doesn't suit their taste, they've listened to it once and never touched it again. Right. Uh Mm -hmm. Uh Leaving it in mid-condition. That's it, yes. I bought a collection once and it was about three boxes, probably talking about, I don't know, 150, 200 records. Okay. And it was all sort of, Happy Hammonds and you know the Beatles go Hawaiian and all this kind of <laughs> all this kind of old tup. And then uh, there's a copy of the White Album in there. I don't think anyone had ever played it. You know, it just been bought. And if they if they had, they'd probably played it once. listened to Revolution Nine and thought. Jeez, what's this
0: that's not hard day's night
1: that's it yeah and it's gone it's gone back on the shelf never to be touched again now Beatles records in themselves aren't particularly expensive because they're not rare but you know finding them in that condition that's the rarity so so yeah t- things like that you, you do find these things in the uh, in the kind of oddest oddest places you know unexpected places really
2: yeah that's it that's kind of the interesting part about what you're doing that's what you're looking for you're looking for the album that nobody has listened to because it's in prestige shape but really most people like yourself you buy these records to listen to them so over the years they would get you wouldn't pay anything for somebody that for something that someone really loved and listened to a million times
1: i think if they're if they're i mean i think i don't know how many times you can play a record before it starts to deteriorate but i I would say if some if someone's got a record and they're careful with how they play it it could stay in next to pristine condition in so much as let's take even your favorite album i don't know how many times would you listen to that in a year it's it's not going to be much you know what i mean it's like I've, I've i'll have records on my shelves that yeah i may have listened to quite a bit but other records that i really love but i perhaps especially if you've got a larger collection you might listen to them once or twice a year and right. uh so yeah i mean you, you might listen to a record i don't, don't want to be uh, morbid but you might only get a chance to listen to it 25 30 times in your lifetime but as long as you've played it carefully not put your thumbs all over it right. and um you've got a decent quality stylus it, it should still be in cracking condition for you know the next person to enjoy when you've popped off you know so yeah
0: and i think most people whether you're uh, collecting records or you're collecting sports memorabilia or antiques or whatever it is they understand the you know it's usually the the price is driven on condition Mm. and scarcity right The, Mm. the supply and demand uh you know if if they didn't make many of them but nobody wants them it doesn't matter but if they didn't make many of them and now ooh, there's a surge in it suddenly they can go up in value so I feel like everybody can understand that, but I I feel like a lot of people miss out on the value of like a first edition record Mm. versus like a second or third or whatever printing on there. You know, like I noticed on rarevinyl.com today, you know, we are our latest episode out today is an interview with Steve Hackett and he's a month away or, or so five weeks from starting his Foxtrot at 50 tour. So Mm. I go on rarevinyl.com. You've got a first edition foxtrot album that also has some kind of nice insert in it you know
1: Is that, that's the one that's got the advertising you know i think yeah right?
0: exactly you know that's over 300 quid you know mm-hmm. uh, so i'm like but if you got a second edition you could probably get it for about 15 or 20 quid even in pretty good condition you know so can, can you tell i mean you're looking for serial numbers sometimes you're looking for where it was made sometimes i mean what can people look for to kind of know whether they've got a gem in their collection or not
1: a good example would be like say um dark side of the moon by pink floyd okay i mean that's got to be one of the best-selling Albums, fifty-six million, whatever. Yeah, yeah. I mean, everyone knows it. And then people look on. You know, they look at some newspaper and find that a copy sold for two thousand pounds, and they get all excited. The thing is, like you say, it's, it's the scarcity. When that first album came out, Pink Floyd was still an underground band, right. so not many people bought that first issue. And then it's gone on to be a worldwide phenomenon. So if if even only a fraction of those people that are now into Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon, want to get an original original, right. they got their work cut out to find it because they didn't make so many of those because, you know, the, re- the represses, I don't know how many, how many thousands it would have been, but probably they repressed twice as many copies as they originally pressed. Sure. And then the third pressing would be three times as many. Now, the album design... Is never going to change because it's an iconic bit of artwork. It's like Beatles album, Stones, any album really. They they very rarely change the artwork. So what you have to do is look for things that are going to change, and one of those would be the uh, the company logo. You know, the livery of the company.
0: Okay. Yeah.
1: So you know, like you can you can tell the difference between a, a 1970s Pepsi can and a 1990s Pepsi can because of the way you know the logo might be slightly rejigged. Sure. So where the logo is usually prominent is going to be on the label. And so if if you're looking at UK Beatles records would be an easy example. Most of the 60s pressings were on Parlophone, right? And at the time for most of the 60s the Parlophone logo would have been bright yellow with a large bright yellow pound sign in the middle of the label. So if you've got that, you it may not be the first pressing, but it is going to be an early, an early 1960s press you know pressing from the era and then they went on and sort of rejigged the logo in the 70s and they changed the design so the labels are all black with silver text and the word parlophone is in smaller silver lettering and the pound sign is small and it's in a little box and you know these kind of changes and you look at the label and then you'll be able to roughly date it as to whether it was made in the, the 60s 70s 80s what have you Okay. you then get into slightly more detailed examination. It might be the the copyright, the sort of text around the perimeter of the label. Again, an example would be the Beatles. The original pressings should say the Parlophone Company. And then after that, they change it to the Gramophone Company. And then Mm. after that, they change it to the EMI Company. Right. And then after that, they change it to All Rights to the you know, and all that. So, as you go through the years, so you might have one that's it's got the the black and yellow label, so it's a '60s one. But yeah, the original might say the Parlophone company around the label. Bang, you've got a first pressing, and then the other guys says the uh, the Gramophone company around the perimeter. That means he's got a second pressing or a third pressing. And then, yeah, you can go into really minute detail. It might be about credits. Songwriting credits. Oh sure, mm-hmm. there can be confusion or you know disparity between those. Could could even be something like the uh, the stampers, the matrix stampers, and the dead wax. The first pressings might be A one B one, and some people are pay hundreds just for those stampers. Mm-hmm. If you've got the A one B two, then uh, get out of town. You haven't got anything. <laughs> so yeah, it can be things like them, but it, it certainly. It's not, it's not so difficult to do, but you do need to be thinking about those details if you wanted to uh, investigate what you've got. Hi, this is Steve Hackett, and you're listening to The Ugly American Werewolf in
2: London. I was just kind of thinking about, what, I mean, what, what do you think... be the holy grail of records that you could come across like is there anything that you're looking for specifically or you just kind of go in with whatever's here i'm going to make the best out of it every single time or do you is there one where you just walk away and you say i don't want any of this
1: yeah i mean there's always this there's there are well-known collectible records and ones that i i have seen and i have purchased they would be ones like uh, led zeppelin's first album with the uh, the logo in the top corner, and the very first pressings were in turquoise mm. rather than in the kind of tan brown color. Again, that that indicates that is you've got your first run there because the I think the band didn't like it and they they had it changed. So be something like that. It would be a first pressing of uh, Dark Side of the Moon. Um, that one you can look at the label design, and if if the uh, if the the triangle in the middle of the label, if it's coloured completely colored a light blue that means you've got a first pressing whereas later pressings it was kind of a slight outline of a triangle beatles black and gold that uh, that label design i talked about they in the early 60s they had one that was it was gold text instead of yellow text and because they changed that in 63 that meant that only the very initial copies of the beatles first album had that label design on it um, cool. you you would have had to yeah so you would have had to have bought the beatles first album within the few weeks of it being in the shops you know well, if you that's the
0: first edition yeah
1: yeah if you if you wait for a month or so then you're going to get one that's you know black and uh, black and yellow i think the, the actual vinyl is probably still the same pressing but the label design is different and yeah, if you're if you're a serious collector, then uh, yeah, that doesn't cut the mustard. So but then, yeah, the, those ones, they 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 do excite me from, you know, the point of view that I have bought something that's worthwhile. Um, but then again, it could be just very obscure things and things that I've never heard of before. And I'm always finding rare records that what's this? Who's this? I don't know. Case in point, I bought a collection and um, it had a Slade seven inch in it. Okay. I looked it up online and it's like, you know, you can buy this seven inch for about, I don't know, cheapest price you buy. It's probably 50p a pound, something like that. Okay. And then I noticed that all the copies for sale, all of the copies for sale were in just a plain die cut white sleeve and i actually had one that was in a picture sleeve uh. so did a bit of extra digging it turns out yeah the picture sleeve is as rare as you like i forget how much i put it on for it was quite a, you know quite a substantial amount and it just somebody bought it within minutes of it going on our site just gone (laughs) it just yeah you know somebody was obviously waiting saw it knew what it was bang i'll have that so yeah there are always those nice nice little surprises
0: well speaking of surprises you know you're buying something that was maybe sitting on the shelf or sitting on the box for a long time so maybe in the 70s when they're parting other things get stuck into the record slips right it's not always just final it's not always just the advertiser whatever sometimes there are odd little tidbits uh that people forget are in there and then they end up with you tell us a story about some of the weirder or more fun things that you found in the record sleeves over the years besides
1: the final yeah, yeah sure Is, have, you, have you got an age rating on this uh, podcast? uh oh,
0: no we can do whatever you can say whatever you want here so yeah
1: yeah i mean the i think somebody's found somebody's will hidden in a record sleeve before.
0: Handy to keep there.
1: I found somebody's O-level certificates, which that's the, the, school, the exams you'd take when you are 16 back in the day.
2: Yeah, okay.
1: F- I found somebody's school photos, bizarrely. Um, that was weird. We found some Dutch hardcore pornographic catalogues. Goodness. And when I say hardcore, they're yeah, pretty yeah. <laughs> pretty, pretty beefy. You know, sweet Danish stuff from uh, Danish stuff from the early nineteen seventies. Found some uh, found some Polaroids of uh, somebody taking a uh, point of point of view shot of their girlfriend, yeah. Having yeah, having, having yeah. a chew on something.
0: <laughs> Saturday night, yeah, exactly.
1: You know, so, that's so yeah no you do get you do get weird things in there yeah I don't, i've never been lucky enough to find any money yet but uh, <laughs> and then the flip side of that is i mean those things obviously they would be i mean the, the pornography that's we don't tolerate that that's destroyed straight away no nobody takes that home with them right <laughs> but um you know we've had it where it's like somebody you buy a record and then inside the record it's like oh there's a signed photo of whoever oh cool you know and they 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 don't remember it or they don't say anything um bought a collection once and the records are fairly unremarkable but the person had been to various concerts and then put the the um, programs and the tickets in the records oh cool and then it turns out like well the the record's worth about forty pounds. The program's worth about hundred pounds, one hundred and fifty with the with the, the with the ticket. Yeah. You know, so you sometimes get some nice nice surprises like that. Sometimes seven inches. You know, somebody will put a seven inch in there. I um, Don't know why they'd do that, but again, you get an expensive one. Flexi discs get a lot of flexi discs. Flexi discs. Uh, yeah. Do you, have, do you have them in the states? Flexi discs. No. There's
0: like like picture discs. What are flexi discs?
1: No, they're they're made um, made by a company called Lintone Back in the day, they're, they're basically they are pressed. I think they are still pressed on vinyl, but it's wafer thin, like paper thin.
0: Oh, okay. And that's
1: why they're called flexes because they've got they just wobble. I mean, they they are like the thickness of paper.
0: Okay.
1: Typically, you might mu- they used to have a um, magazines or music magazines and you'd get one glued to the front of the magazine gotcha, so okay. you know you, it's like a free gift also companies would sometimes distribute them um as part of publicity campaigns so you know if you've sure. got you know i don't know heinz baked beans and then some they've got some band to sing a song about baked beans and <laughs> you know you can you can You can send off 10 rappers and they'll send you this flexi disc or whatever so you often you often find those some of them can be interesting i think there's one about trying to remember i think it's about rally bicycles that used to you know old chopper bikes yeah yeah so i think it's i think i'm getting this right because i know there was one about yo-yos as well but i think the rally one it's got uh richie backmore before he was famous on it no way oh yeah So, I mean, you find that the thing is, they're so thin. That's why people would put them in LP sleeves to protect them. Because if you put them in with your seven inches, if they sort of slip down a little bit, they could get creased. And once they're creased, that's it. You can't bring them back to life. So, yeah, you sometimes find nice, nice items like that. I found a few again. I don't want to sound like an obsession, but there used to be a, a pornographic magazine in this country called Rustler. And they used to give away on the front of their magazine. They'd have a seven-inch of, of uh, their models talking dirty. And, uh, <laughs> you, you often find them tucked away in the record sleeve. Oh, sure, <laughs> they're, right. Uh, they're hiding them from the wife or something. Yes,
2: yes, gotcha. Yeah, but, that's uh, for your late-night listening.
1: Yeah, I think I think a company called Chunk Records. I think they actually released a compilation of some of those uh, flexi discs as an LP, which uh, is uh, is one to keep. You. I think it's called Flexi Sex. So if you're interested in <sighs> For instance, that kind of thing. It's, uh, yeah, trunk records.
2: Well, I was I was going to say, looking through your um, website, I mean, it's awesome. I mean, it's very comprehensive. It seems like you've got a little bit of everything for everyone. And I like the fact that you can uh, scroll onto the picture and see the front and the back. And it gives you a description of what you're getting into. Just really a lot of information as far as the, the product, which I think is kind of a little bit strange because if you would... If you're interested in it, I would think you would know what it was, like you know what the songs were and everything, but it's still great information to have.
1: Yeah, I think I think because because vinyls become, I'd, I'd say you're right for certainly the hardcore collectors, but because a lot of people are buying Crosley. uh little plug-in, yeah. Yeah, those kind of things. So they, they buy them, and I don't know what it's like. I don't know what it's like in the States, but the price of uh, new vinyl in this country, I mean, proportionally, it's, In line with inflation and everything, it's probably cheaper than it was back in the 70s and 80s, to be honest. But that said, I mean, why would you really bother to buy a new final copy of Brothers in Arms when you can pick up a used one from us for I don't know what we sell it for, 10, 15 pounds? Probably a new copy in HMV costs you 25 pounds. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, and if you go to find one in a junk shop, you're probably talking about two or three quid. Who knows? So we do have to keep an eye on the casual layman, let's say for a better word, people who would just want to buy music on vinyl to enjoy the music and listen to it. And they're not that fussed about what's what. So they're going to want to know the track listings just because they, you know, They've heard a few Queen songs. They want to get into vinyl and buy their first Queen LP. So you know which one's got Bohemian Rhapsody on it. Have a quick check, kind of thing. But yeah, obviously, because we're online retailers, we have to um, we have to give as much information as possible because the uh, customer's not able to see for themselves. Well, that's right.
0: Yeah, and to your point, Jackson, there. I mean, versus someone who's going to go to something like an eBay. to to pick something out where the descriptions can really vary. It could have somebody who's really into it and wants you to have all that information there. And it might be just something like, yeah, it's, it's the white album, you know, you know, the songs or here's a, you know, (laughs) here's a picture of the back cover. You can read, you know, what's on the, there you know not on the whiteout but on you know something else so yeah no the care that you guys give the, the detail the attention to the product and then the attention and care you give in shipping it you know the way you make sure it's packed in there tightly and neatly and keeping it safe because you ship all over the world it's not something you just shove through the mailbox right it's you guys do a great job you know start to finish as far as the customer experience goes
1: yeah I, th- I think with the um when when you think about some of these records so if you think about the uh i don't know the beatles say S- sergeant pepper i mean how, how old is that is that like was that 67 so it's like
0: 55 years old 55
1: like years old i mean that's it, it, what let's say when i was growing up in the 80s i mean that would have been something from the 30s that's right that, that Proper antique, isn't it? I mean, if yeah. someone comes to, you, oh, I've got a book made made in the '30s or a bit of furniture or something like that, and you're thinking, "Cool, holy smokes, that's old stuff." So for 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 us, it's it's slightly more difficult to appreciate because you know that still seems relatively current. And I, I mean, I still think of '90s bands as being fairly hip. And if, but if I talk to my kids about Pulp or Blur or something, I just get the blankest of looks. Right. You know it's uh it's a different world to them because time moves on but so saying that those those artifacts so those 60s records i mean they are sort of starting to edge towards antique or at least sort of cultural artifacts of an almost bygone age
0: absolutely yeah
1: i mean the cultural zeitgeist it hasn't just moved on one step it's moved on several steps since then so i think a lot of that stuff it, it does need to be treated with a bit of reverence in terms of in terms of the description and like you say the packing and of course the prices that can be charged but i think it deserves it because you, you you know you uh you lose track of it i mean i, was, I saw a there's a tv commercial at the moment on tv and it's uh, it's got a disco track and it's got this old guy the the commercials for like uh it's like a bit like a lazy boy chair but for okay. geriatrics and uh it has got this guy who must be about in his late 70s 80s and he's dancing to disco music and you sort of think oh that's funny but then you think actually he, he probably was just dancing to disco music back right. in the day. yeah this is, where, this is what's happened now i mean <laughs> you know yeah that that generation it's it's proper old now all of this stuff <laughs> sure. i mean even even some old like i say some some bit of old rubbish like Boney M or something I mean you know these are records that are getting on for nearly 50 years old that's half a century
0: absolutely no and we're getting old man I mean when people ask me oh you know so much about music who are your favorite new bands I go yeah Oasis and, and, uh, and Foo Fighters you know those are my favorite new bands right because they're not yeah, the Stones or Led Zeppelin or Rush or whoever you know
1: that's it no you get you get a blank look you get a blank look for my kids I, mean, my kids, I I I have to say the Beatles, as you may have guessed, they're my favourite band just because the start of it all. The start of it all. Yeah, I mean, not everything they 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 recorded a lot that was rubbish. They they nicked a lot of ideas off people, but when they were good, they're just nothing to touch them. I don't think just in terms of the skill of their writing, skill of their playing. It, I don't know. I just if I put Revolver on, it just still sounds really fresh to me, but. I mean my kids they um even in my household they don't even remember who the Beatles names are and like my oldest is 15 I've got a kid who's 15 another one's 13 uh, my youngest is seven but um you know they know I think they know they know Paul McCartney because he's sure. been on TV a lot recently and the other one it's kind of my fault I, I call him John Lemons so they know John <laughs> Lemons and uh that, that's it they don't know ringo Starr or george harrison particularly you know and these are these are these are titans these are titans of popular culture or so you think but then you look around and think blimey the you know the world's moved on i i wouldn't wouldn't know many of the artists that were that were big in the 1930s you know i know (laughs) i know a few but most of them
2: right (laughs) You say that now, though, but I think, like, it's, speaking from my own experience, there was a time when I was like, the Beatles, man. They were a million years ago, and then you get a little bit older and you say, no, I was wrong. These guys are the best, and I think your your kids will come around to that, too. There'll be a time when they're like, Dad, you were right. They, they, these guys are awesome. They'll know everything about them, and they'll know those records backwards and forwards.
1: Ah, oh, yeah. I mean, I think, I think the music, yeah, don't get me wrong, I think the music still, it'll still go on, but I just think a lot of that stuff that world is just sort of it's becoming slightly it's becoming even more detached from the present cultural milieu it's not when when we were growing up we were growing up in the world our parents had made and so you know all the music that my parents liked and all the all the films and all that i mean that that was what was filling the world it was all You know, I mean, even in the 80s, it was still, you know, Beatles, Monty Python, you know, all that kind of stuff. Whereas now that that's that's a generation and a generation ago. Right. So, yeah, I mean, my kids and that's the odd thing, actually, my kids probably know more about 80s music because things like Stranger Things, which I have to confess, I've absolutely no knowledge of other than the fact that my son listened to uh, Kate Bush and went, oh, yeah, that's the Stranger Things lady. (laughs) but yeah just like when i was growing up i mean i wouldn't have really cared too much about vera lynn or um sure you know glenn miller or stuff like that absolutely
0: well it's also different just because you know we used to save up our money so when a new record come out of somebody who knew you liked uh or, or you heard a couple songs on the radio by bands like okay i've got some record money i'm gonna use it on their record kind of thing and then you go it and you would listen to the whole thing and you would listen mm. to it several times whereas today it's like What's that? Duran uh, Duran? Okay. Uh, Alexa, play Duran Duran. You know, Spotify, give me a Duran Duran playlist. And they can just consume it a totally different way. So it, it's, it, I don't know. It's, uh, I'm just glad there's places like Rare Vinyl or EIL.com out there to take care of these treasures mostly for our generation, but for the curious of the generations to follow, they'll still be there because of the, what you guys are doing.
1: I, th- I think, yeah, I think you're right there. It, when, when I was saying about buying used vinyl at boot fairs when I was a kid, it was just because there was no way you could listen to it. You know, I somebody would say, you know, you'd read in one of the boring old fart music magazines and it'd say, yeah, like something like Revolver or Pet, Pet Sounds or something. And you'd be like, wow, this sounds great. I really want to listen to this. But you, you couldn't listen to it until you had a physical copy. You go down the HMV and it's like well, fifteen quid for the CD. I can't afford that. And then yeah, one day you find one in a jumble sale and you're like, hey, wallop, get that home, listen yeah. to it, and it's a revelation. Or if one of your mates had it, you you know, give them a give them a C ninety cassette and get them to. I am like all oh, the Jimi Hendrix. I didn't have any of the Hendrix albums when I was younger. They were all recorded off my mate because he went to a boot fair and. Somebody had all the original LPs there and he bought them all. But yeah, I mean the, the kids these days, they they're sort of blessed in that respect. Is that if they've got any vague interest, like you say, they can Spotify, YouTube, who knows what, and, and immediately you've got that you've got that music available. But what what you miss is the fact that when you bought when you bought an album that was really good, you played the arse out of it. I mean, right. just again and again and again and you again. read the liner notes
0: you found out who the producer was whatever they do you know yeah you, 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 all that stuff the, the lyrics were often in there you know you would get weighed into it
1: yeah well because it's a, it, you know if it, if it if it was a new lp it was a big investment i mean you yeah you're spending I, I think back at the when i was buying vinyl, it would have been i don't know seven or eight pounds yeah with, that's right you know that's at the time it was not an incon- especially because i was at school it was a fairly fairly hefty amount of money so yeah, you'd make sure that you really you really wanted it. And then when you got it, you really enjoyed it to its full. Um, yeah. Whereas these days, yeah, just it's it's disposable is the wrong word, but it's certainly there's no, I no, there's no gatekeeper.
2: I think you're right. It is more disposable because because like you were talking about before, oh, I, I heard that song on Stranger Things. You listen to that one song. Oh, OK, mm. well, now moving on to the next thing, when you had the record, when you spent your own money, you had much more of a relationship. With it, mm. and you were going to listen to, like you said, every single song on that record back and forth, and it was kind of like you, like the the one that I use. It's it's David Bowie versus the Rolling Stones. You know, you you said I'm throwing in with David Bowie. He's my
1: guy, and I've you know it, this is the this is the one that I've chosen. I, I sometimes wonder about record collecting. I don't know, like collecting. Physical media, I think that is something that has kind of disappeared a lot with the new generation. Mm -hmm. And again, if I go, if I go into my, when my, when I was a kid, my room was absolutely crammed solid. Because if you wanted to get any information, you'd have to buy a book or a magazine. And we used to have the music newspapers, the enemy and the melody maker and what have you back in the day. And you'd buy them and you'd never throw them away. So you'd have a big box of them in the corner of the room. The music, yeah, you had to you had to buy the the record or the CD or the cassette. Films, if you wanted to watch a particular film and it wasn't on the TV, you'd have to buy a VHS. That's right. So I just had shelves piled high with all my old rubbish, I suppose. Yeah. (laughs) But but I go into my kids' room and it's 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 spotless. There might (laughs) be a couple of a couple of video game boxes maybe a few books you know a couple harry potter novels or something like that but they don't have the same amount of physical media just because that's not the world that they live in anymore yeah um and then i heard somebody saying about records becoming almost like a form of merchandise so if you wanted to if you wanted to listen to the music you'd buy the record And then you'd go to the concert, Mm -hmm. and you don't need a T-shirt, but you would buy a T-shirt just to have a physical item of the band, or you might buy a hat or a poster or something like that. And was, was I forget who it was, but he was sort of saying that vinyl has sort of gone into that category because most people, even if you buy the vinyl record, you've got the download code, so you'll download it to your device, and that's probably the primary way that you would listen to it, or certainly for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, So then that vinyl becomes it is a physical item that you can use to sort of support the band and just sort of have and hold. But that said, there is obviously a backlash in a ways that people now have decided that they perhaps they do want physical items, physical media. So, yeah, they would be, uh, you know, rather than just downloading it or listening to it on YouTube, you know, younger people are buying record players and buying records to listen to just because I think it just gives you a slightly, it gives you ownership and a slightly deeper connection to the music. And Absolutely. there's a, there's a permanence to it, which you, I mean, iTunes, you, you can have a, you can have a, an album on there and then you listen to it, 13 track album, and then you listen to it another day and it's turned into an 11 track album. And you're <laughs> like, where did those t- two tracks go? And it turns out that they've been withdrawn for whatever reason, it could be a Copyright dispute. It could be something that, you know, not particularly PC or some, you know, politically correct about those songs or who knows what. But you, you're not the curator of your own collection anymore in that sense. And again, that goes with uh, DVDs and videos as well. I mean, you might have a, a movie that, I don't know, an actor's been accused of something a bit naughty or <laughs> there might be a, a racially charged word used in it or who knows what. But if you're relying on a um, streaming streaming or something, mm-hmm. yeah. They just suddenly say, ah, we're not going to show that anymore," and then that's it. You you can never watch that movie again if you wanted to. Whereas if you've got the physical copy, you have got that permanence. So uh, I I like that about having a vinyl collection, and I think that is something that does appeal to people. It's like you own it, you know. And if the internet goes down, it doesn't matter. You can still listen to your records. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Well, you,
2: you were talking about the T-shirt before. That That was the way I was when I was in school. It, that kind of showed who you were. This is me. I listened to this band. This oh, is one yeah. of my... A part of my personality, yeah, and I think sure. the the record collection is the same thing. You don't even have to listen to the records; all you do is flip through them, and you say, "Okay, I know who this guy is. I know yeah, yeah. what he's all
1: about." Yeah, I, yeah, no, you're right. I wonder if I wonder if young people are defined like that, but you, you're bang on there. I mean, I would be buying a t shirt and wearing it, like you say, you you want to be people say yeah look at this i like primal scream i think they're a great band yep and you know everyone likes them i'm you know they're popular that means i'm popular <laughs> whatever that kind of it's that kind of mindset but also if you go around someone's house i mean let, let's say you meet you meet a girl and you go around her house for the first time and you know she's in the kitchen you might go up to the shelf and start flicking through a record collection and you find a couple of bum discs there and you might think oh hang on
2: uh-oh
1: this this isn't good what's going on here yeah, that's what, that's <laughs> and then you find another album and then you think oh wait she's redeemed herself
0: <laughs> well anything interesting going on at rare vinyl uh, or ail that we uh, need to know about right now before we let you go
1: yeah we're certainly doing we're certainly getting a lot of socking, sort of racing to try and get as much of it onto our onto our inventory as possible really
0: uh, well mike we really appreciate you coming on and, and talking with us a little bit today and keep up the good work down there and if we can ever do anything for you Well, that wraps our chat with Mike Wenban of rarevinyl.com, or EIL.com, who are the proud sponsors of the Ugly American Werewolf and London Rock podcast. And we appreciate Mike coming on and sharing his stories about collecting records on his own. He's quite a record collector and knows a lot of different genres, but about his cool job, a record buyer for a company that collects hard-to-find or vintage, pristine, mint condition collectibles, In the rock and roll. And that's not just rock and roll. I know. it's Rock and roll is our thing here on The Wolf. And we're trying to spread the word around the world. Just like rarevinyl.com will ship around the world. Yeah. I mean, that's our thing. That's what we want is the the rare Pink Floyd stuff. The Beatles stuff. the, The stuff that he was talking about on the show a little bit. But everybody's got something that they love. And like he said at the end, like Mike was talking about, this stuff is getting to be pretty old. Getting it in pristine condition is is going to be harder and harder to do. There are going to be fewer and fewer people who have these little gems sitting in their record collections. And I also liked how he outlined how you tell the difference between something that might really be valuable, like a real first print copy of something, versus what most people have, which would be like the 3rd, 4th, or the 15th edition, whatever kind of thing. Knowing the labels, knowing what to look for on your favorite records is the difference. And a lot of people will see an article, look, this Beatles album just sold for $10,000. I've got some of those. Well, you probably don't have some of the ones that Mike was talking about with the yellow bound sign uh, or the gold writing, that kind of thing. But it's great to have a place like that. It's it's a perfect sponsor for our show. RareVinyl.com. They have over 250,000 items in stock. LPs, 78s, programs. You heard Mike talking about. They've got posters, things like that. Picture disc, rare things, singles. And you never know what you're going to find there. You never know what's going to come in from day to day. So you can get on their mailing list. And I encourage you to go to rarevinyl.com or eil.com to do that. And don't forget to use the code podcast, P-O-D-C-A-S-T. You'll get a 10% discount uh, on whatever you buy every time you go back. Not just the first time, but every time you go to rarevinyl.com or eil.com. Just use the code podcast. Save yourself 10%. Uh, It always helps on shipping costs and things like that. We appreciate you turning in, folks, and we want you to subscribe and download wherever you get your podcast, be it Spotify, Apple, iTunes. Good Pods has been very good to us. Google Play. If you like to watch it on YouTube, we don't really show the videos, but you can hear our voices. Hey, wherever you do it, we appreciate it. Subscribe. And if you're thinking about it, hey, give us a positive review because it helps us find more rock and roll fans like you around the world. Helps us grow the show. And we have to thank our friends at Pantheon Podcast, the network we are part of. A hundred great music podcasts, all genres. Of course, we're trying to hold up our end on the rock and roll side, but there's some great rock shows, some great shows of all genres. I encourage you to check them all out there at Pantheon Pods, or at www.pantheonpodcast.com. And make sure to... And you can reach out to us on social media, uh, be it Twitter, at Ugly underscore Werewolf, or at ActionJack72, or on Instagram, I don't think we're really on Facebook, but maybe we will be sometime. I know we're trying to do this social media thing, folks, best we can. Our YouTube channel does have few subscribers on it. As far as what's coming up next week, I can't even tell you. I know that we've got a Jeff Beck, Johnny Depp show that we're going to do at some point. So it could be that, but who knows? Who knows? I'm on tour uh, of the continent in Amsterdam, actually Harlem at the moment. And I'm trying to uh, put out the best shows we can, as always, but also try to enjoy a bit of my summer after two years of lockdown and COVID travel restrictions throughout Europe and England and the world. And I'm trying to get out and enjoy some of that. So I hope you enjoy our show. I hope you tune in next week, whether it's for Jeff Beck and Johnny Depp or whatever we might have on. To all you rock and rollers all around the world, be cool and stay safe. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs>